We should just stop it right here and have an altar call or something. <laughs> Welcome to Home Row. This is a podcast with writers on writing. I'm J.A. Metters, your tour guide, and I'm excited to learn along with you with some of my favorite writers on the art of writing, the act of writing, and the life of being a writer, and how all of us, how we can grow as writers. And today, my first guest is a man who's been helpful to me and encouraging in many ways, and I'm honored that he would be our first guest. And let's listen to my conversation with Jared C. Wilson. Hey, man. How are How you? How are you, Jeff? I'm doing good, Jared. Thank you so much for, for doing this. It's a, it's a joy to have you on as my first guest. Yeah, thanks for having me, brother. And so for those out there who don't know who you are, uh, would you mind sharing just a little bit about yourself, family, job? Yes. Uh, so I work for Midwestern Seminary now. I've been in uh, in and out of uh, vocational ministry uh, for about 20 years, but started uh, working with Midwestern in March of last year, 2015, um, as the director of content strategy, which means I have a lot to do with social media, uh, some shaping of the message when it comes to advertising, promotion, um, admissions, that sort of thing. But really the bulk of what I do is uh, I'm the managing editor for uh, a resource site called For the Church, which is um, hosted and, and, and sponsored by Midwestern Seminary, uh, but features a variety of articles and videos, gospel-centered resources aimed primarily at, at ministry leaders. So that's kind of the, the primary day job that I have, um, but I also um, travel and preach. I'm a a traveling preacher and I write books. Lots of books. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. I feel like, you know, I've written one. <laughs> and if I sneeze and turn around, oh, there's another Jared Wilson book coming out. Well, <laughs> and not a bad book, a good book, another good book coming well, out. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. I try not to write bad books. <laughs> <laughs> but I do write a lot of books. That's true. It's been about two years since 2009. It's amazing, man. Yeah, something like that. So fa family situation, did you cover that? Um, oh, no, yeah, yeah. So I'm married to Becky. We've been married, uh, it'll be 20 years in June. Uh, got married in June 1996. And we have two daughters, Macy and Grace. Macy will be 15 next month. Uh, Grace is 12 and will turn 13 this summer. Wow. And if people follow you on Twitter, uh, if they don't, they should, at Jared C. Wilson. And so football season will be here shortly. That's right. And, and so you should warn anyone who's not aware that when NFL season starts, I become very insufferable on Twitter. You see, but I'm I'm encouraged by your football tweets <laughs> because I always have a net gain. You know what's interesting? I mean, I know I'm going to lose some people, and I do, but then I gain people also, and I end up with a net gain. I can't figure it out. People are gluttons for punishment or something. Your football tweets <laughs> are evidence that you have a very low fear of man. No, well. <laughs> That's true. My unabashed, you know, Patriots fandom, probably. It's an, it's, it's an inspiration to me because I love the Rockets and I yeah. get to write a little bit about the Rockets and I worry about tweeting too much about the Rockets that it's going to just drive people away. But I should, yeah. you know, take a page from your tweet book. And... Hey, hey, if they if they went out from you, they were never of you, Jeff. Mm. <laughs> we should just stop it right here and have an altar call <laughs> or something. That's right. Okay, so big Patriots fan. Most people know that, and big Tom Brady fan especially. But yeah, I'm probably a bigger Tom Brady fan than a Patriots fan. I mean, I hope he never leaves the team, but so my, you would be you would be a you know wagon hopper. Yeah, I would if he left. I mean, I you know I'd still pull for the Patriots, but wherever Tom Brady went, 
Um, I'd be pulling for that team. I'd be pulling for him. You're like the LeBron fans. <laughs> if you say so. <laughs> okay, so what's something that Jared Wilson does for fun that maybe we don't know about, a hobby or? Uh, probably my my favorite thing to do is just to go out with my wife. Um, you know, there was a long period of time where, uh, you know, we had small children at home and, and uh, we didn't have, we were away from family, so we didn't have easy access to babysitters. And and so we've, we kind of feel like in the last 10 years or so, we're, we're making up for lost time mm. with date nights and, and that sort of thing. And our girls now are at, at the age where, you know, we can leave them home for an evening and and go out. So we have a lot more freedom now. And it's just my favorite thing. I mean, she's my best friend. So that's always fun. See, I was hoping you were going to say vinyl, but that'll work too. <laughs> Cause I'm, I'm getting big into vinyl. And so I was hoping yeah. we we're going to have to have a vinyl moment there. But No, no. I mean, I do collect vinyl, but that didn't come <laughs> to my mind. I'm sorry. I guess I'm not as big a vinyl fan. That's all right. Not everyone can be. Yeah. Well, let's talk about why we're here. Let's talk about okay. writing. You are, I looked at the word to make sure you are a prolific writer. Yeah. You looked up the word prolific. I, I had to look it up. <laughs> and it's just, you turn out so much stuff and so much good stuff. And so would you first, would you dispel the myth for us about writing that you've got to have the cabin, the right scenario, the right scenery? Like what does just writing look like? What does the environment look like for you when you write? Yeah, well, it looks like, I mean, you know, obviously there are places where, for me, the way I'm wired are more conducive, uh, you know, for writing. So for me, really the best place is like a coffee shop or a public place. You go in headphones? No headphones? No, I don't. I like, I like the, you know, the ambient noise around. I like to, to, I mean, I don't want one conversation to be so dominant that I can't concentrate, but just the sort of din of general conversation, you know, the clink of, of silverware on, on, on saucers and, you know, whatever music might be playing in, in the place and that sort of thing. Um, it's just really helpful for me, but I know some guys, they, they need absolute quiet. They need absolute solitude or what have you. Um, but I think the thing about being a writer is, is, you know, is that production is, is that it's almost an impulse. Like you can't not do it. So, um, even though that's the best environment for me or the, or the environment most conducive to creativity and, and, and good writing. Seminary life, um, you know, you have to write. I, I write from my office at, at the seminary. I write from home. Uh, I write on airplanes, um, you know, all that sort of thing. Um, and so while if I had my choice, you know, I'd, I'd always choose the coffee shop or the cafe. Um, you know, just if you can write, you you can write wherever you are. Yeah. Did you see, there's some, there's some website called, I think it's like coffeeivity or something like that. Oh yeah. Check it out. Where it'll just pipe in background noise of a coffee shop. Oh, you're kidding. So like wherever you are, you can play it. It makes yeah, it sound it like, sounds like the, all that stuff you described is, I just need on one a, that like connects to the smell of coffee too. So it's like, <laughs> you know, puts out this, that's like a, that's around. like a Disney world ride. Like a 4d. <laughs> that's right. A 4d kind of sensory thing. experience. A riding, what a lame ride that would be. <laughs> the writer's table. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be as boring as the hall of presidents. <laughs> no, you know, you get, you like figment, the dragon come out. Oh, hey, that guy's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. So when did you know you wanted to be a writer? Oh, brother. I think this is twofold. When did you know you wanted to be a writer? And when did you feel like you became one? In the first grade, 
which I don't know how old I would have been, six or seven, I guess, okay. something like that. In the first grade, we had those little, well, I mean, in every grade, we had those little books. Like, it, it charted your progress in each grade, and so you'd put your school photo in there, and it would say things like, what's your favorite subject, what's your favorite food, um, favorite TV show, and things like that. And and then the question was always, what do you be, what do you want to be when you grow up? And in the first grade, I wrote author <laughs> in that blank not just writer, author, like I wanted to write books and I would always create like a notebook paper. I'd write, you know, you know, you know, these little stories. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, obviously they, you know, sounded like six year old or seven year old writing stories, but I would staple them together. And on the inside, I would even kind of mimic the copyright notice. <laughs> Did you have your own <laughs> publishing company? Was it, was it Wilson Publishers? Uh, yeah, I mean, well, I, honestly, I remember doing a, a mother's day project they, where we like did it. We bound a book. We wrote something for our moms. This was in the sixth grade probably. So I was 12 or 13 or something. And, and they taught us how to like, how to bind it into a book. And on the inside, I, I put like copyright Wilson publishing or something like that, you know, in there. <laughs> so I've just always been enamored with the physical book and, you know, I've always read since, you know, since I was able to and, and just love to read. And so I've just always been enamored with it. Always wanted to write, always wanted to author, but now I didn't feel like, I was an actual, I guess, author or, or that I had arrived as a writer until I had published a few pieces like in magazines and that sort of thing. Okay. Um, but then even then, that's not the, you know, it doesn't compare to when you're actually holding your first, your first book. So you would and think I, when yeah, the yeah. first one, your Jesus is too safe came out, you felt like, okay, this is real. Yeah. And I mean, you know, my goal was sort of like, uh, you know, I want to have a book published before I'm 33. That was sort of this. I mean, I wasn't going to die if that wasn't going to happen, but, you know, that was kind of goal that I had, especially since I spent, you know, quite a few years trying to publish. I was writing novels and trying to get published and couldn't get published as a novelist. And so, you know, when you're putting a lot of time in and you feel like you're paying dues and you've got, you know, you know, published pieces in these little articles and uh, um, these little magazines and things, you know, for me, it was sort of like, okay, by 33, I'd love to have a book and Your Jesus is Too Safe was published by Kriegel in June, I think, June or July of 2009. And I turned 30, uh, 30, uh, 34 that year. Mm. Nailed it. <laughs> so, yeah, came in right under the wire. I turned 34 <laughs> in November. So I, I made it by about, with about four months to spare, I think, something like that. Um, and it was great. I mean, you get that box, you know, and you pull that book out. And I felt like George McFly at the end of Back to the Future, you know, where he pulls out that that science fiction book, Match Made in Space or whatever, or whatever it was. <laughs> and he says to Marty, if you put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. That I've always loved that scene and that moment. And uh, that was my George McFly moment. So so you've written how many books? What's the uh, official title now? Somebody asked me that this past weekend. Uh, I was speaking in New Jersey, and they asked me this at like every – and I. I'm trying to count them. Like 45, think, 42, no, something like that. I think like 13 or 14. If if you include like the Bible study yeah, yeah, yeah. of things, you know, things I've done for Crossway and TGC and that kind of thing, it'd probably be about 13 or 14. Out of all of those, which do you feel like, I think I know the answer, but which yeah. one is your, like that's your favorite book that you've written? Uh, my personal favorite, I don't know that it's the best, but it's my personal favorite, the one that I felt like had the most where I, I did what I really wanted to do with it was Gospel Deeps, mm. um, which I think came out in 2011. It it came out right after Gospel Wakefulness. Yeah. 
and was kind of a follow-up to that book, um, was my way of sort of holding up the gospel and uh, almost like a diamond and looking at these different facets uh, of the gospel to just show really how robust and versatile uh, and multifaceted it is. And so it was a really worshipful book for me to write, and I hope it's a it's a worshipful book for people to read. And it's probably the one, um, it's kind of an under-the-radar book. It's not one that a lot of people mention. Um, it's not, you know, my, my best-known book, but it's probably my favorite. I think Gospel Wakefulness is still my favorite. Mm. I don't know if it was the season I was in and just kind of trying to grow more and understand more the depths of the gospel and the gospel-centeredness and what that looks like throughout our life. And there's a point, I think, at the end of the book, I remember it was Thanksgiving, and I'm in Lake Charles, Louisiana, with my wife's family reading it. And there's a part at the end where you begin to describe either Christ or the gospel as, like, the Narnia, the, the true, like, <laughs> Middle Earth, and, like, going on and on. And I think I stood up while I was reading. I think I stood up and put my hand in the air. Yeah, it was just nice. oh, it was just so great. It's like oh, this is this is just my favorite book, and okay. so I I love it, man. And Pastor's Justification, yeah, I think so. Those are the two that I hear the most about. Actually, um, I think you know the concept of gospel wakefulness, the experience that I talk about in that book, um, it just resonates with so many people. Yeah. There's so many people that I know, that, especially those who grew up in the church. I mean, not just you know those who grew up in the church, but so many who did. To, I think put words to an experience that's just so common, and so it's just kind of hit a nerve. I think, um, you know, because it's not really a a, um, a unique thing. That was the thing I, you know, kind of struggled with at first. Is sort of like, am I making this up? <laughs> yeah, no. <not laughs> is this something that I've invented? You know, but I mean, it, you know, it's kind of personal revival, and it's just people. Yeah. I think it 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 hit on something that is so common for so many of us. Um, and so I've just been, you know, been grateful for the response to that book. And you, I mean, you do write so much and your writing is, I, I think you're a great writer. I love your style. You, you're very, um, it's not hard to read. Your content is always great, but your writing style is just so enjoyable to read. So what for you, what are you trying to do when you write? Cause there's a difference between just putting content out and then playing with words, uh, bringing in word pictures. Um, so what do you think makes good writing? Yeah, I mean, I think you 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 described it right there is is to create a picture. So, um, I think I would call it somewhat um, imagistic. You know, like I I I want it to be. I want my writing to paint a picture in some way. So even if I'm not describing uh, a visual scene, I want it to have an imagery to it, uh, sort of a uh, an artistic weight to it. Um, I mean, I do like the way that words go together. I like to be playful. I, I think there's a playfulness, not in the sense of frivolity or, or, or silliness, um, but that I'm kind of reveling or worshiping or enjoying as as I write. Um, and so I think that's kind of you know been my approach or been if I could describe my style, uh, I think it would be like that 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 I'm trying to exalt. Uh, in, in my writing. And I think there's a variety of ways to do that, but really that's kind of what I'm trying to do is, is create an impression and, and not just communicate information, but create an impression. So when you're there, whether it's the books or the Bible studies or the blogs, what do you think are some of the biggest challenges for you as a writer? Yeah, the biggest challenge is self-discipline. And that's just the biggest challenge for me, just in general, not just for writing, but 
um, as a as as a human being, as a Christian, um, you know, sitting down and doing the work that's required. I'm, I'm really great at doing what I feel like doing, and and that's why I think you know, as a as a professional writer, it's like the deadlines are are so helpful. Yeah. Oof. If it weren't for deadlines, like I wouldn't get. Pro- I mean, I'd be writing. I'd be writing constantly. There's not a day goes by that I don't write. But in terms of like doing the work, doing the project, the deadline is so helpful because it just you see that that you know wall looming in front of you, and so it it kind of forces you to to sit down and actually you know focus on on the project at hand. Um, I mean, that's really the biggest challenge for me is just. Um, you know, staying on task, I guess. For you, do you, do you think writer's block is a is a real thing or is it just discipline? Like you just got to get down and just, you know, churn it out. Yeah, I think it is a real thing as it pertains to creativity. So um, I think any any writer, any capable writer can sit down and churn stuff out. Like I don't think writer's block is a real thing if it just means like you can't physically put words down. So there's, you know, little tricks, there's little things you can do to kind of grease the wheels. I've heard of guys who say like when I, when I'm stuck, I'll pick up the last thing that I wrote. Like if I'm working on a book, I'll pick up the last few pages and like retype it hmm. or, or just begin sort of an editing process. I'll, I'll begin to edit the last page. Usually I don't want to do too much more than that because then you just end up editing, but you do the last page and it just kind of, you know, kind of greases the skids for what is going to come next. Yeah. Um, you know, so there's little things that you can do or you just, you know, sit down and, and you know, rewrite something else or, or, or what have you. Um, so, you know, the, you know, there's no such thing as writer's block in the sense of like, you know, someone who just is, you know, is paralyzed. Um, but in terms of like ideas of actually being able to compose something, um, you know, creative and beautiful and, and, and I mean, that's not an automatic thing. It's not the same as you know, installing the legs onto a chair or, mm. or something like that. Like, you know, cause sometimes you hear people joke about, you know, they make fun of writers in this writer's block thing. And they're like, you know, the assembly line guy never gets assembly line block or yeah. what have you. But that would be, I mean, that's assuming that creating is the exact same thing yeah. as yeah. I bet the guy who designed the chair or the automobile has some days where he just can't quite figure out, you know, how do I get this shape right or what arc should be, here and there and that sort of thing. So, um, I do think it's a real thing. Um, you know, where, where it's just, something's not flowing, something's not working, you know, where the wells run dry of ideas at the moment, that sort of thing. You made me, you made me think of something that you hear guys talk about with writing that the kind of the different stages. So there's the, maybe the outline stage, you're jotting some ideas down, which I've seen on your Instagram, you had, you know, pictures of like a book outline, like jotted Mm -hmm. in a journal. And then you go to the, just pour everything on the paper, just get it down and then go back and edit. Do you follow that kind of pattern or do you edit as you write or? I tend to edit as I write. Yeah. So usually I'll start with two or three pages of, of notes, um, where I've jotted down basically kind of a rough outline. Um, you know, this is the flow. This is the, these are the big ideas as I think of little lines or quotes, or, or illustrations or um, passages in other books I might want to excerpt or something like that. Uh, I'll jot that down. And so I'll start with this just kind of rough scribbled, lots of arrows, lots of things scratched out, you know, kind of deal. Um, and then from there, I'll create like a table of contents. So that's kind of the working outline that I have 
um, that keeps me on track. And then when I sit down to write, um, usually I've been sort of composing it in my head. So I'm not the kind of writer, especially with book projects and that sort of thing, where I sit down and just, you know, vomit out yeah. every idea I can think of and then go back and try to shape it. Usually it's it's pretty coherent, pretty, you know, sensible, um, the first draft. I mean, I'm getting out the information, you know, the basic information that I want to get out in the right order, saying the important things, because I've gone over it in my head so much, That's, yeah. you know. And, and my sermon prep is like that, too, a little bit, where, um, you know, I've got an outline, but I, I stew on that outline for two, three days before I manuscript. Um, and it's just in my head. I, I'm, I'm thinking of the things I want to say, how I want to say it. And so it's all just kind of, you know, you know, fertilized there in my brain. And and by the time I'm getting it out, it's my first draft feels kind of like a second draft. I mean, you always go back and edit. Um but my first draft is 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 probably a little more um, coherent than just hey let's see what what happens you know by putting stuff on paper. Yeah. So who are some of your your favorite writers today? I mean I I think when I think of current modern day writers, some of my favorites, which I hope we can get on the podcast, are are you. I, I love your writing, uh, Ray. I love Ray Ray Ortland's writing. Yeah. Uh, Russell Moore. Um, and Douglas Wilson and also his his playfulness with words and stuff is always he can kind of go too far sometimes but a, a <laughs> lot of times it's like man those that is some great wordsmithing that's happening there so yes. let's, so for you modern modern writers and then past yeah um i would echo um Doug um and i was just you know talking to uh another guy about Doug earlier and and trying to kind of pinpoint he he's 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 like a throwback yeah, I mean, especially with you know some of the um, the hard things that he writes, or the uh, you know the, the when he's pontificating, or or you know carrying a torch <laughs> to yeah. burn something down. Um, he, he, I mean, you talk about not having a fear of man. Um, it's almost like he's writing like the reformers did. Yeah, you know where they didn't, you know, to them what, what they were talking about was so important they didn't. You know, the sanctified insult was was not too was not too far. Yeah. From. Uh, but just the way he puts words together, he's such a clever guy. Um, he is a wordsmith, uh, and so there's a lot to learn, uh, you know, from him. Have uh, you read his book Wordsmithy? I have. Yes, yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's very good. Um, yeah. So I mean, I like his I like his style. Um, I like a lot of liter uh, literary novelists. So. Um, the work of Michael Chabon, and now I'm mentioning guys who aren't believers, but just in terms of their style, the way they put words together, Jonathan Franz and Michael Chabon, um, recently, uh, although he's, he, he passed away a few years ago, John Updike, um, the way that they compose and it has this sort of ecstatic sense to it. Updike, especially, um, he wrote in a worshipful way, which is really interesting because sometimes he wrote about some really depraved, you know, awful things, um, a lot of unabashed sin uh, in his books. Um, but you just have this this gleam of, um, you know, wanting to give, he, he called, giving the mundane its beautiful due. Mm. <laughs> and and that's kind of what I th- want to do with, with my nonfiction, is to say, if God created this world and created everything good, and one day it's going to be redeemed, and everything has, a be- has something beautiful that is due it, and that's kind of what I want to, want to do um 
Now, in the, from the past, you know, obviously C.S. Lewis is, is the yep. first one who comes to mind. Um, he's just a master. I don't know if that if we've had yeah. a better Christian writer in in the in the modern age than C.S. Lewis. The in the breadth of what he can write, that he can write, you know, literary criticism of 16th century stuff. Then he can write children's books. Yes. And then write apologetics. It's and then write serious like Christian theology. It's yeah. incredible. Yeah, and you know, you know, I was thinking about this too that they. Um, there's very few who can do that. You're right. The versatility that he has, there's very few today who could do that. But we do have a few who could do that. But the market wouldn't allow it. It doesn't mm. seem like we're, you know, we're so niche now. Everyone has their lanes that you know yeah. the market you know wants everyone to stay in. That you almost have to to get really big to be able to have a children you know, um, you know, have a children's book published or or or, or try to keep a foot in both worlds of fiction and nonfiction and. You, you almost have to get to the point where people will buy anything you write because you're such a big celebrity or what have you. Yeah. But in his day, it was just he was a great writer and, and knew how to communicate on different levels. And um, I, I wish we, we could, in some sense, recapture that. Yeah. Any others? Lewis, anyone else comes to mind? Well, quickly? yeah, I mean, Chesterton, who, you know, Lewis was somewhat influenced by as well. Um you know, the playfulness of language is there with Chesterton, the cleverness. He's just a smart, witty, you know, witty guy. Um, you know, love that about him. Um, if I'm going back, I'm going back again to novelists. Um, so, I, you know, I like Faulkner. Um, I like F. Scott Fitzgerald. Um, Hemingway a little, little bit, but to me, Hemingway could be more wordy. <laughs> <laughs> the, the things that people don't like about Faulkner <laughs> Uh, are are what you know um, you know keep me from liking Hemingway. Yeah. I, you know I I just wish that there's more feeling there. I guess. See, that's why I couldn't get into Lord of the Rings stuff. Really, like, he's so wordy. He describes the sword <laughs> for twenty pages. That's right. And Lewis that's will just go. That's important, man. That's oh, important. <laughs> and Lewis will go. It's a sword. You know, <laughs> like thanks. That's right. <laughs> Yeah. So there's, I'm sure there'll be guys out there listening and gals out there listening who they want to be writers. Not sure. They're kind of growing it. Maybe they're tinkering. Maybe they're you know going to start a Zanga or something like that. <laughs> Is or, that I, I don't. I don't think Zanga's still around. Maybe okay. a, maybe Medium. They're going to get on there. Okay. What what words of would you give to these inspiring or aspiring writers? Yeah. I mean, I think um, you know any advice I. I'd have is is pretty common stuff that they would find. I mean, if, if they're interested in writing, my guess is they've been reading writing, you know, helps. And, you know, the number one word of advice that you always hear, and I think for good reason, is you have to read. You have to be a reader. Um, but I would add, you, you need to read widely. Um, you know, so if you're, if you're gunning to write, you know, nonfiction for the Christian market, you know, you want to write devotional theology or whatever it is, uh, I think it's important to read poetry. I think it's important to read novels. I think it's important to read biography. It to be able to you know to stretch your brain in different ways. Um, it just sort of increases your capacity to compose, and so you learn better how to put words together, how to express things, how to be more narrative, and vice versa. You you, you want to be a novelist? Um, read well written works of nonfiction. Uh, read travel books. Um, you know books about other parts of the world, you know, that have lots of description in them and 
uh, read biographies, read, you, you know, that sort of thing. Um, so I would say not just to read what you want to write, but read pretty widely as, as well. And then the other thing, especially for young up and coming writers, um, it's sort of the symptom of our celebrity age and social media age where, because we can connect with everyone and we platform these celebrities. So everyone wants to kind of be a big deal, but now we bring the big deals down to our level as well. And it, it has this illusion of, of, um, of equalization, even though, you know, we are all equal as, as people. Um, I think it sort of short circuits people's ability, aspiring writers, aspiring creators, it short, you know, short circuits their ability um, to think about having to pay their dues of mm. having to put the work in. And so I meet a lot of young guys, uh, usually it's, it's usually men, young men, uh, who almost want to be published more than they want to write. <laughs> yeah. And, and um, you know, they want that short track to, you know, to having the, you know, the book deal. And uh, it's great when that can happen. You know, certainly yeah. I wish, you know, I could have gotten a book deal on my first book. But uh, usually you just got to put time in. You need you need to grow some and, um, you know, become more mature and, and you know, do and do work and stick with it. And so that sense of endurance and persistence, I would say, I would tell the aspiring writer not to shrink back um, from having to write a few books maybe before you have one that's published. Yeah, there's an older pastor in, uh, in Houston and we were talking, it was my first book was coming out and he asked me just point blank. He said, did that book arise out of planting your church or was this a side project? Mm. He said, because I'm sick of guys who their churches are, you know, barely making it and they're out there trying to get a platform and write books and get retweeted. Oh uh, yeah. And you know, man, I said, it did arise out of, I was just trying to write devotionals for our church. Yeah. And a bunch of brothers just encouraged me to, to try to get it published. And, and here we are. But I mean, you're right. Like, wanting to be fast tracked to publishing. I, it, I don't know why, because hmm. it, the money, it's not for the money. <laughs> I know we yeah. can put, we compared royalty checks on well, Facebook recently. Yeah. Did well, you get I, one recently? I just got one last week from Kriegel. Yeah. Yeah. $61. Yeah. Usually you can take, you know, we call it the Red Lobster check. <laughs> <laughs> the check comes in we, we can go to Red Lobster. Although we never go to Red Lobster. We just call it that for, you know. Yeah. Like uh, I could maybe go to Lupe Tortilla with the last <laughs> one I got, you know. Yeah. I mean, you have to be at a really, uh, you have to have a, 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 I mean, extremely large platform to be able to quit your, you know, if, if you were going to quit your day job, and I know a lot of guys don't, but. You know, to get paid for writing in such a way that you could, um, I mean, it's it's such a rarefied few who are doing that. But I think before that happens, um, most people don't know that. They just assume that if you're a published writer, you're, yeah. you're making a lot of money. Yeah, you're like Scrooge McDuck diving in those coins <laughs> or whatever. That's right. I mean, you know. Um, you know, it does get better the more you know work that you put out, the more work you produce. It's it's like anything. It's 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 like starting at an entry level thing. Um, you know, there's an accumulation that occurs as as you progress. But the idea that you know having a book published, um, I think the greatest sort of you know solution or, or or antidote to that sort of ambition is for people to actually have a book published. Yeah, <laughs> and then they find out, oh, oh, okay, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, there, there. Well, there you go. And my wife hasn't even read it yet. You know, it's like <laughs> that's right. 
She's lived it, honey. Yeah, she's lived it. That's what she said. I've heard it all. <laughs> That's you know, right. You talked about it all the time. I don't need to I don't need to read it. I'll read your next one. Okay. So all right, man. Now we're coming to the end. And now you've got a new book coming out in the next when is Unparalleled come out? Unparalleled comes out next month. I think May sixth is when it officially drops. Now blurb it for us. Yeah, Unparalleled is um really about how Christianity is unique, first of all, how it's utterly unique among all world religions and philosophies. Um, but then in addition to that, not just that it stands alone, um, but how that's actually compelling. Um, because um, intuitively or naturally, most people think the things that make Christianity compelling, I mean, or, or make it unique, uh, is what makes it somewhat offensive. And that's true as well. But we forget just how compelling um, something that's radical, something that's unique, uh, singular, um, actually can be. And so what I do in each chapter of the book is, is show a different aspect of the Christian religion, the Christian faith, show how that aspect is completely unlike any other, um, you know, claim, truth claim of, of other religions. Um, so Christianity's concept of God, even monotheism, you know, we're one of the three major monotheistic religions, but Christianity's monotheism is different than Islam's and even Judaism's. Um, and so I, you know, go to some, you know, provocative links there to show um, just how unique and unparalleled Christianity is. But then um, I don't just leave it there. I'm, you know, I'm not just trying to do apologetics. I want to sort of make emotional sense, kind of appeal to, um, you know, the deepest human longing, something that's universal for every human being. And show how these things, um, how Christianity's uniqueness actually unlocks um, some of the appetites that we have and some of the desires that we have and and, um, actually speaks to um, things that are inside the human heart. You know, how does the Trinity, how does the doctrine of the Trinity correspond to something that every human innately understands, even even if subconsciously? Need for community, uh, the need for mutual love. You know that sort of thing. Well, I can't wait to read it, man. It's gonna be encouraging, especially the way our the way our culture's heading and where we're going as the church in the United States. We're gonna we're gonna need more books like this. Yeah, well, I'm I'm excited about it. I hope that it will be helpful. Jared, thank you so much, man. I love your writing. Love your ministry. If you're not familiar with uh, what Jared does at Midwestern at For the Church, you want to go to ftc.co and check out that great gospel-centered resource for all kinds of just wonderful blogs and articles and a conference. When's when's the conference? Uh, it's going to be September uh, 26th and 27th this year in Kansas City. Okay. I can't wait to be there. Man, brother, thank you so much. Love your writing. And uh, you've probably got another book coming out like <laughs> tomorrow that we don't even know about that you're about no, to next year, writing. next year. I'm doing one a year now, man. I'm scaled back. Oh, you're dialing it back. Are you okay? <laughs> are, you, are you sick? Or is it your age? Uh, is your age getting to you? Or, that's or, what or... it is. I turned 40 and it's just all downhill <laughs> for me. Oh, man. What's your next one? Do you, anything you can tell us about? Yeah, well, it, it's tentatively called Crumbs from the Table, and it's um, subtitled Discipleship for the Rest of Us. Hmm. That's all I'll say right now. Okay, all right. We'll, 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 be, we'll be watching Amazon. All right, man. All right, thanks, Jared. Thank you, Jeff.